0: Welcome to Side Talks. I'm trying different stuff now, Corey.
1: That was, what were you trying to do there?
0: I don't know. Just break it up a little bit. Okay. Welcome to Side Talks. You don't like it? Uh, it's it's pretty good. Well, I'm Rachel Morgan. Let's get on with the show. The show.
1: H- Hello, Rachel Morgan. What do you do?
0: Um, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really don't. Something that has to do with movies, I don't know. I got hit on the head earlier and... I'm gonna pretend, I'm. am pl- trying to pretend like that's what happened. That's my excuse for not answering a lot of emails. Uh,
1: and I'm Corey Kraft. I'm not amnesiac. I am uh, a programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival in cinema, and Cinema. I'm going to use Rachel's newfound memory loss to win a five-minute fight in this episode.
0: Ah, you couldn't even win with the memory loss. <laughs> well, maybe you can. We'll see. Anyway, we're off.
1: Get ready for a five-minute fight.
0: Five-minute round one fight. fight. All right, bitch! It's time for a five-minute fight, and you are wrong on this one, Mopo. That's fine. That's
1: fine. Let's hear it. What are we fighting about?
0: We're fighting about Oceans Eight. Ah, yes.
1: <laughs> Rachel comes out in defense of anonymous studio product yet again. Let's hear what is it about Oceans Eight that you like so much, besides the fact that Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock are making eyes at one another the whole
0: time. Well, you just said Kate Blanchett, so or is it Blanchett?
1: You, 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 your you way, the clock is ticking. Either
0: you're... way, she's, she is an amazing, amazing human. And I love her in this film. I'm going to take a bit of a different approach. Okay. I've got a little strategy here. Oh. Do you like, I mean, maybe. Uh-huh. Do you like the other Ocean's films?
1: Uh, Yeah, more or less.
0: But you don't like this one? No.
1: And Sexism. here's why. Oh my, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Here's why. Uh, apart from the fact that it's got a bunch of dern women in it. Which I – no, I'm kidding.
0: I thought you were the defender of all women. I am.
1: I am. I mean it's well – it's canon on this podcast that I am a friend to women. But but apart from that, which is not a problem because I am a friend to all women, um, I find this movie flat. I find it edited without the same buoyancy and sharpness of the Soderbergh films. I find the story altogether less involving. And I just don't find the sort of chemistry between the cast to be as interesting – with exception of Bullock and Blanchett, who are, you know, a fun pair that I would have liked to see more of in the movie, and Anne Hathaway, we've already talked about Anne Hathaway on this podcast at length, but I find her to be the best part of Ocean's oh, Eight. Oh man, well, there's part of the problem. She's playing this spoiled, you know, narcissistic movie star who. You know, she grabs hold of that role and has a great time with it.
0: Pretty sure that you're just supporting my perspective right now, so I'll let you do that. Okay. This film is what a great action film should be. Hmm. It's light, it's fun. It has an amazing opening sequence with this sort of Sandra Bullock shopping in the store and getting the free stuff, which yeah. is just really pulls you in. It's clearly a you know, sort of bit of a reference to the grifters. And I think it just has a good time. And I I actually think the chemistry between all of the women is really great. I think it's really fun to see them win. I think it's a – you know, I think that it holds – now, is this the greatest film of the year? No, but it is a great action film that is very much in line with the rest of the Ocean's films that are out there. I don't see how this can't be embraced in the same exact way.
1: I, I wanted to like this, but it just, you know, Gary Ross, the director, is no Steven Soderbergh. Whoever they hired to edit this and assemble this, it's missing that spark. It's I disagree. That I
0: think I had a great time. I laughed a lot. It does go over the top and ridiculous, but isn't that kind of the point no, of the series? No, hey, I'm okay with that in principle. There's this sort of like the little submarine part that's that's, out, that's totally stupid, but in the best way, and it knows it. yeah. You know, I just think everything about this film is really lovely and enjoyable in the way that an action film should be. And I'm not really – the performances are, you know, great for what this film is.
1: Everything about this film is what it should be on paper. In execution, mm. it just doesn't. So get you there went
0: to the me. movie theater and you saw this film. No, in I, the did, theater. I actually didn't oh. see this
1: on on until Blu-ray. I, okay, I so you didn't
0: the you didn't give money to the all female led cast in the action film. Oh my lord! Um, and so you saw this and you just you did you weren't like laughing. You didn't enjoy no, it. No,
1: I bought this on Blu-ray and brought it home without having seen it first because I was confident that I would like it, and I didn't.
0: Well, you'll and I just you didn't buy have a good time. You buy it. stuff that you're not confident that you'll like either. So that well, doesn't really yeah. That's not think. really a big. So, but point being that I do think that there is something really enjoyable about the way that the that the characters interact. I think you're wrong there. I think that I love the sort of the weird, questionable relationship between Sandra Bullock's character and Kate Blanchett's character. I think that's really fun and enjoyable. Um, I wish they had done I wish they had leaned in a little bit heavier on that. I will say that 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 is it's that, just
1: it's a film of half measures like that. It's like no. you know, an, it's ambiguity, right? Well, no, it's just not you're just too cowardly to take a stance
0: well, in that particular instance, maybe, but I think that they gave enough to make it to make it acceptable. Mm. but I do I mean, maybe in that instance you're correct, but everything else feels committed. it feels it feels as committed as as any other action film. Name one other action film that came out the same year that's you know super above and beyond that one.
1: Oh, I, I
0: list them. Oh, he's get he's getting his phone out. This makes for, you know, when you get your phone out, it makes podcasting. for a really enjoyable yeah, podcast. Okay.
1: Nothing jumps to mind at the moment, like well, off the top of my it, head. Sandra Bullock, uh, Kate da, 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 Blanchett. We, they're getting? in the film.
0: I just won. What?
1: That, uh, Widows. Boom.
0: No, yep. it, no Widows way. Is great. Absolutely not. Yep. This film is better than Widows. You're
1: insane. That's this an insane film is, thing to say. <laughs>
0: It's okay. an a, it's an action movie.
1: Widows is a better con con woman movie, a better heist movie. Is it a, a better, better comedy? Drama. This is
0: clearly an action comedy. Well, okay, it's not
1: it's not a better comedy, but I again I could point out any number of better comedies from last year.
0: Action comedy, it's action the best. Com- well, I don't know about it's the that. best of the year.
1: Yeah. No, disagree.
0: <laughs> You're wrong. I've come to judge. judge Judy, get in here.
2: There you go, Judy. This title is going to be Side Talks Episode 27, Corey, sexist, Um, question (laughs) mark? Awesome. I I think Rachel makes a good point saying that it's fun and enjoys itself and it maybe doesn't take itself too seriously and it's kind of what a good action movie should be and I think she gets points for that. I kind of agree with Corey, the execution doesn't get there, but maybe that's the fault of the original Ocean's Trilogy setting too high of a bar from a technical standpoint. Um and I'm gonna give fifty thousand points to Corey for the Widows example, because I think that's the movie Ocean's Eight thinks it is. Sure it has a good cast, but I think they could have that group of eight women could have done anything else and it would have been a good movie. But just Ocean's Eight wasn't wasn't that good. Um Corey wins again. And now
1: a look at what we're watching this week.
0: Corey, you know what I've been watching? What's that? Stuff at the sidewalk cinema.
1: Hey, that's a good place to watch a movie.
0: I agree, and this isn't just intended to be sort of a plug for the cinema, even though it really does work this way, like a teaching moment. I uh, I recently sat and watched um, uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. So Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, I was I was starting to I was stammer I'm stammering a little bit because I actually watched two films that night, but I'm just going to focus try to focus, which is difficult for me, on Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Because I feel like I'd never seen this film before. And here's where the real plug for the cinema comes in is that that's the great thing about our rep screenings is that I do feel like some of these films I've seen only on – this one in particular I only saw on – I think I've only seen on VHS yeah, really. Yeah. Or some you know, maybe really terrible DVD maybe, but I think just VHS. And seeing it on DCP, I mean it would just – it blew my mind. It's such a fucked up weird film. But really enjoyable and I think it just plays in that place of they can't be serious. They clearly know th- that this is terrible in some, in some instances In some instances is really actually awesome. Yeah. Like I would argue that, that, that there's a couple of editing sequences in this thing that are just mind-blowingly good. But there are also just such painfully terrible moments that feel questionably intentional. And it's really good at doing that. It's really good at sort of playing in the space of are we being serious or are we not? And knowing it's Russ Meyer, you know, it's
1: he's got an he's got a an eyebrow raised, you know. Yeah. He's winking at you a little he's bit. He's
0: got some style. Yeah. So I don't know. I enjoyed it a lot. It was really cool to see. I feel like I'd never seen the film quite in this way. I during the intro, I mentioned that it was probably about the mid nineties, I think I was in film school. Oh my gosh, do not do the math on that, y'all. And my friend Stuart brought a, a VHS tape over to my place and was like, you've got to see this film and put in Beyond the Valley of Dolls. And he was on in film school and I was. So I was just like, oh, you're trying to show me something? Is that really what's happening here? Because I'm an asshole. And so he puts the film on and I was just like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything quite like this. It's yeah. this, this combination of all the things that I love and hate at the same time. Anyway, highly recommended Hopefully we sc- – I think we'll screen it again.
1: Well, I hope so because I've never seen it. I've only seen one Russ Meyer film. I, it's Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Yeah, it's a great one. Which I – you know, I like it a lot. Um, so and did the Spice Girls. Couldn't, I couldn't see Beyond the Valley of the Dolls the night that we screened it. So I sure wouldn't mind us screening it again.
0: I mean I was probably 10 minutes in when I was like, oh, we just have to do this again. There's yeah. not enough people in this room right now. In part because a lot of people were in the room next to us. Sure. So, um, so we were screening something else really wonderful. But yeah, I, it' such a – what a crazy, crazy film! And we'll we'll just pause it there so that we can actually have a conversation about it.
1: Sure. Well, um, I've been watching a bunch of stuff recently, and I guess I want to highlight two things: one thing that I I didn't like very much, and one thing that I did. Uh, I just caught up, uh, and this is the thing I didn't like very much with Rocket Man, the musical uh, biopic about Elton John, mm-hmm. uh, from the guy mm-hmm. who ghost directed Bohemian Rhapsody after. Um, A certain noted, embattled, uh, possibly criminal film director was fired from that set, uh, a guy named Dexter Fletcher, took over um, the last few weeks of filming and I think guided Bohemian Rhapsody, which I think we've already said on this podcast is not a very good movie at all. Oh, but uh, Rocketman is. To to post-production. No, Rocketman is not. Okay, good. Uh, Rocketman at least tries to break from the musical biopic mold a little bit by being a full blown like full production number musical mm. which i think is an ambitious and interesting direction to take a typical musical biopic but it's still a musical biopic i mean it's still as by the numbers as they come uh Taron Egerton uh, the star of the Kingsman movies plays Elton John here and he's you know he's pretty good he does the singing he's um you know a plausible enough younger Elton John and he's got the voice that, that gets close, right? It matches more or less. But everything else about it is just, I don't know, as as dull as it gets. I, mean, I
0: knew that from the trailer. Yeah. I feel like I knew that. I, ha- I mean, I haven't seen it, but – but I, feel and like I, I feel like I know what I need to know from the trailer.
1: You haven't seen it and yet you have. Right. Because you've seen the trailer and you've seen a movie like this before. I've
0: seen a movie before.
1: Yeah. So so your, your suspicion was correct. Rocket Man is really nothing to write home about. Um, the next movie I want to highlight is a movie that might be more relevant when this movie or when this podcast drops. Um, I had the privilege – the other day at the Sidewalk Cinema uh, to sit down and watch a movie called Just Mercy. Um, an outside group had rented the cinema facility to host a very, very in advance preview screening of this movie, um, and I was lucky enough to sit down and watch it uh, with a pretty packed house, uh, including a lot of folks from the community and from the city who are, um, I guess, uh, activists in things like criminal justice reform, which this movie you know tackles right. as its subject matter. Right. Um, it's an adaptation of Brian Stevenson's memoir. He's of course the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, headquartered in Montgomery, and it tells well a, an Alabama-centric story of his early days as a defense attorney trying to ensure that people on death row receive. Uh, Proper representation in a court system that, frankly, is stacked against them. Since most of these people are people of color, since most of these people come from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds, and couldn't afford proper legal representation in the first place. Um, it focuses on his defense of a death row inmate named Walter McMillan, played by Jamie Fox, um, and Stevenson is played by Michael B. Jordan, the the rising star. Um, who is really terrific in this, as is Fox. Um, you know, it's, it's a formulaic legal drama, but the formula works, at least in this case. And honestly, this sort of movie is a little bit of a throwback, you know, a, a hmm. well-intentioned, um, principled legal drama that does exactly what it needs to do. Now, is it perfect? No. Nah. I mean, Brie Larson kind of has the supporting role where she plays the woman, Oh, good. Yeah, and that's that's basically that's basically it. Awesome. Um, but the other two lead performances, Jordan and Fox, are really really strong. That's there are all a lot that of matters. Really good <laughs> supporting performances as well um, from folks like Tim Blake Nelson, um, and and overall, it is a really really stirring and powerful film that I think will uh, really speak to not only. People who have read and and love the book, but it really speaks to the current cultural moment in a way that I think is important. So, so that one I think gets a limited release on Christmas Day. Will be out in in wide release sometime in mid January. Check it out. I mean, it's intense. It's harrowing. It's emotionally very very difficult, but it's worth it. Uh, I think to to see. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd pretty unhesitantly recommend that.
0: Cool.
1: And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment Film History Minute with Charlie Brown.
3: Today I'd like to talk about The Muppet Movie, released in 1979. After two seasons of The Muppet Show, Jim Henson wanted to make a big-budget feature-length movie to see how far he could push the limits of Muppet technology. The result is a film full of very complicated puppetry that looks amazing on screen, such as being the first to show a hand puppet's entire body, but it was a challenging experience for the production team. The movie's opening features Kermit singing the Rainbow Connection while sitting at a log in a swamp. Henson had to find a way to operate Kermit while completely hidden in the swamp set. His solution was to fold himself into a custom-made diving bell placed in a water tank. Since the tank was only four feet deep, The diving bell was also short. Henson was six foot three inches, and so he had to contort himself into the bell along with a monitor to watch his performance. Then he would stick his arm through a rubber tube to control Kermit. The whole scenario was so strange that it scared Henson's then thirteen year old son, John, when he visited the set. In scenes where Fozzie Bear drives the Muppets cross-country, a classic 1951 Studebaker Commander Coupe was modified to be driven by a person in the trunk who viewed the road through a television set. The television received its image from a camera located in the center nose of the car's front grill. This made it possible for Frank Oz to perform Fozzie Bear in the front seat, crouched out under the dashboard, and have the character seemingly drive the car in close-up shots. When Animal accidentally eats Dr. Bunsen Honeydew's Instagrow pills, he memorably balloons through the roof. Henson refused to use a normal puppet on a miniature set to accomplish this effect, so his crew had to construct a gigantic animal head that measured 60 feet. Many stars of the day make cameo appearances in the Muppet movie, including Orson Welles, who plays producer Lou Lord. That name was a nod to British producer Lou Grodd, who got the Muppet show on the air when all American networks passed and he executive produced the Muppet movie. Also, he was a real lord. For such a joyful film, the set of the Muppet movie wasn't quite as sunny. For the first time, Jim Henson and Frank Oz chose an outside person to direct the Muppets. They wanted someone familiar with quirky material, so they hired Jim Frawley, who had directed the Monkeys TV series. However, Frawley was unfamiliar with the challenges of shooting puppets and was often openly frustrated. Another first on the production occurred in a scene where Kermit and Rolf sing a duet. Since Henson performs both characters, it was the first time he had turned Kermit over to another performer. For the musical finale, Henson had a vision of 250 puppets, actively participating in the number. The scene was delayed because songwriter Paul William had writer's block to keep production moving, Hinson asked Muppet show writer David O'Dell to come up with some dummy lyrics. But when Williams heard that someone else was doing his job, he suddenly figured out how to finish the song. In addition to the regular cast, almost 150 extra puppeteers were hired for the finale. On the day of filming, everyone took their marks on the floor of an enormous pit. When Frawley shouted, Muppets up! Each person raised their Muppets for the ambitious final number. John Landis, the director of Animal House, was one of the many extras involved in the closing song. Frank Oz, who was busy handling Miss Piggy, asked him to fill in for Grover. But he wasn't the only famous director in the pit. As Landis recalled, 30 years later, I was in a restaurant in Beverly Hills and was introduced to Tim Burton, and Tim said, We met before. I'm in the pit on the Muppet movie. When the Muppets made their feature film debut in the Muppet movie in 1979, the result was pure magic. The dreamy songs, innovative special effects, and bubbly characters all catapulted the flick to box office gold and widespread critical acclaim. It also kicked off a beloved movie franchise that's still chugging along 40 years later.
1: And now,
0: fast film terms. Fast film term. And by the way, this one's going to be super fast. Okay. Do you know what G and E means? No. In reference to movies. No. G and is Grip and Electric. So it's a department. Yeah. Grip and electric.
1: That makes sense.
0: And we've talked about what grips and gaffers are. We gaffers sure being electricians in the past. So I told you it was going to be a super fast one. G and E.
1: You, you weren't lying. That Grip is super fast.
3: All right, let's go. Big, big bucks. Today's my day. Let's go. Big bucks. No whammies. No whammies. Big bucks. Big bucks. Here we go. Stop.
1: Clouds are gathering. Oh, no. I hear the distant sound of thunder. That must mean it's time for the lightning round. Filmmaker <laughs> <laughs> lightning round. That's more of like a laser gun. Sound. I like
0: it though. Okay. That's right. what that is actually what lightning is going to be like post global warming.
1: That's terrifying. <laughs> Just like a siege on the Death Star. Yeah. Well, okay. we won't know
0: because we won't be here.
1: That's true. Eh. Speaking of death, um, this next <laughs> filmmaker has frequently trafficked in it. Um, the filmmaker who is the subject of our lightning round today is the late great horror maestro Wes Craven. I know this is a filmmaker near and dear to your heart. So let us it begin. Is. Uh, what is a movie of Craven's that you love?
0: Let me just pause too for a minute and say that I am not one to like get on Facebook when somebody passes away and do the whole like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And and I didn't when Wes Craven died, but I shed a tear. I really did. And it wasn't, you know, I don't know this gentleman, but it was just because I'm not going to get another film from him. Yeah, and it, and it just broke my heart. It just took me back. So I am going to say something that's not going to surprise you at all. A Nightmare on Elm Street is the ultimate Wes Craven film, and the ultimate film, really. I, I mean, who else can create such an iconic character in the way that he does? It's just – it's glorious. That's I my I mean, answer. I
1: can't argue with that. So for con- the sake of variety, I'm going to say that a movie by Wes Craven that I love is Scream. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, which is terrific. Um, all that postmodern – Sort of self-referential horror movie stuff is very, very entertaining, and you know I don't think horror filmmaking gets much better than the Drew Barrymore opening of that movie.
0: Absolutely, a beautiful, wonderful reference to Hitchcock and a double downing on Hitchcock's great work. Yep, um, a real showing a real knowledge of of the horror genre, which. Every horror fan appreciates. It's hell that's part of why the genre exists. So um, 100% agree. And, you know, we'll probably slide that answer to another question. But we recently screamed, uh, screamed. We did recently scream. But we also recently screened Scream, even though it's it's available on Netflix. We screamed, uh, screamed it. I like it. I'm just going yeah, to stick with we it. We screamed it as part of our um, 13 Days of Halloween series. And I stand by that.
3: Wonderful it rules. film.
0: Critics are finally coming around to it. What's not to love? I don't know. It was, you know, it was panned a lot. Insane. I Insane. Know. Anyway, we well, moving right along.
1: Uh, what is a movie of Cravens that you might not like as much as everybody else?
0: Um, you know, that one's kind of tough, but I'm going to say *Serpent in the Rainbow*.
1: Hmm. I've never seen *Serpent in the Rainbow*.
0: I probably don't like it as much as everybody else. I also haven't seen it in a long time. No. I don't. I my memory is not finding it. Not finding it quite as enjoyable as some of the others.
1: Yeah. So my my knowledge of Craven is a little – I haven't seen everything he's done. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's mm-hmm. not as much as as some of these other filmmakers we've done. So a film that I might not like as much as everybody else, I I don't know if I have a really satisfying answer to that because I've seen films of his that everybody agrees are great like – the Hills Have Eyes, mm-hmm. like A Nightmare on Elm Street, like Scream. And then I've seen films of his that people kind of roundly agree are trash as well. So I guess for this answer, I'll say um, a movie that I know that you like a lot more than I do, which is Scream 3.
0: Yeah, um, I like Scream 3 a lot. Yeah, now, did I, he direct
1: it? He directed it. He okay. directed all four of them. And Scream 3 is the only one of those that I can't really hang with. That's the,
0: I like it.
1: The Hollywood sort of – I mean, it pushes the self-referentiality too far, eh. and um, it's just not as sharp as the others.
0: Parker Posey's in it, right?
1: Parker Posey's in it.
0: Whatever. You're wrong. But she's, you know. Five-minute fight later. Okay.
1: But that that means I have to rewatch it, and I don't yeah.
0: want to. Yeah, well, you should.
1: Anyway, a movie of Craven's that you might need to see again.
0: So he directed Vampire in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Okay. I want to see it again. It's been – years and years and years it's actually one that i had sort of set up in our in our horror series but um due to some issues we couldn't land it this time around but we will we'll get it we'll get it um but I, I, you know it's been a minute and i know that um that uh, you know owner summer of blood uh, was really highly inspired by it which i appreciate and I, i'd love to see that would be a great double feature yeah yeah, yeah so I'm, there you come down
1: for that because i've never seen vampire in brooklyn yeah um I guess for this, I, I might say The Last House on the Left. Um, cool. His first film. Yeah. Um, It's been a while since I've seen it. Obviously, it's notorious for all manners of reasons. Um, sure. Um, and I, I think I'd just like to – I mean, it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to revisit. But I feel like I need to at some point because it's been a long time and I don't really remember what I thought of it. So – You know, my Craven knowledge, not where it needs to be. Uh, Some holes in my viewing. I haven't seen The People Under the Stairs.
3: Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm.
1: I haven't seen, as we just said, Serpent the Rainbow. I haven't seen Deadly Friend.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I feel like I should probably do that at least once, at least to have the context for the whole basketball to the face thing.
0: I feel like uh, we've got a Wes Craven marathon coming on at some point in our future here, maybe at the cinema. I mean, you know. Worthy.
1: Sure. I'd do it. Why not? Sounds good.
0: Is that the entire lightning round? We like, do it. Pretty
1: much. I I mean, it
0: goes by as quick as a bolt of lightning. Y-
1: you might say so. You might say so. So that's Wes Craven. Um, oh, Red Eye. We didn't talk about that. Have you, You've seen that, right? I have not seen it. It rules. Oh, I have to But see it. it's more of a straight out. thriller. Hmm. You get some Rachel McAdams in there.
0: I like that. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's good cool. stuff. What's this shit? I was trying to see how long I why? could. T- I why? Why would try- you
1: draw that out any longer <laughs> oh, than is necessary?
0: I was trying and then I couldn't stop laughing. So I'm on the tread. I'm not gonna be able to stop laughing when I tell you about this film either. Who do I see but baloney face Nick Cage? Why are you why are you
1: associate these actors with lunch meat? I don't understand. Why do
0: they associate themselves with lunch meat? Why do they turn their faces into lunch meat? It's not my fault, Corey. It's
1: it's the natural aging process. I'm sorry that you're you're an ageist. Or
0: is it what happens when you have one too many facelifts and one too many Botox injections? Are you
1: suggesting that Nicolas Cage... The prince of know. actors has had work done on his face. <laughs>
0: I am absolutely suggesting appalling,
1: that. Appalling, appalling. I am
0: suggesting that. Either that or he put his face in a blender. Anyway, he makes so, like
1: 19 movies a year, so I'm not right. no, I'm not sure if I'm going to get this.
0: It, maybe that's all it is. Maybe that's just what happens to your face when you make 19 fucking movies a year. Yeah, maybe. So it's Nicolas Cage. His hair is jet black. His hair looks like shit, like okay. absolute shit. And it's, I think, what most people would refer to as a mullet, even though, you know, whatever. Um, he's wearing a, a, almost a, what I would call like a black wife beater that matches his hair.
2: Mm.
0: Are, are you getting it yet?
1: Mm, I'm going to need more.
0: Um, he's in a foreign country. Uh-huh. Pretty sure this is maybe Thailand.
1: Mm.
0: He's a hitman. I think
1: – Again, this could be any number of like 19 movies he made like last week.
0: There's a kind of a gross romance, I think. Now, I've seen a lot of stuff since then and I could be wrong because I, I would like to block out any sort of sexual situation in which Nick Cage is in. I want to block that from my mind.
1: Okay. I disagree, but go ahead.
0: Oh, so you like to think about Nicolas Cage in a sexual situation. We'll move on. So that's all I really have for you.
1: I think I know what this is. But well, I'm go ahead not and guess ser- because
0: it's fun when you don't get it right too.
1: So if this is indeed the movie that I think it is, it's a remarkably like weird and obscure choice. I think it's a a notorious or I guess like movie that time forgot at least from 2008 called Bangkok Dangerous where he plays a hitman in Thailand up to whatever it is that hitmen in Thailand get up to.
0: How could this not be it? Are you telling me that there might be another Nicolas Cage film in which he's a hitman in Thailand with a freaking –
1: Nicolas Cage playing a hitman, my mind goes to any number of movies that he shot in Mobile, Alabama I gotcha. last week. I gotcha. But
0: Ian Cunningham, can you get to the bottom of this for us? I mean, is I, this I'm, indeed the film, do we think?
1: I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's Bangkok Dangerous, which I think is is a remake of um, another film. Anyway, I don't know. I saw this movie like in 2008 and I forgot about it as yeah. soon as the credits started I think rolling. this should
0: stop now. What's this shit? And the answer is Nicolas Cage. Oh, he's great. So now it's time for Kyle's Corner. Kyle McKinnon is a features programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. He's going to take a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck he wants to.
2: I'm still having a sleep situation. Um, I have been using the blue blocker glasses like pretty consistently. Um, uh, I've gone to see probably like four or five movies. I think I even talked about this last time, but I've, um, I'm basically trying to cut out any kind of blue light. I think I've... Been, I've don't have caffeine after breakfast anymore. Um, trying not to drink, uh, is, or at least as very little as I can. But I'm still having these sleep issues, and it's usually where I just wake up at, like, um, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock. And I, I normally get up at 5.15 every day um, just to kind of have time by myself and to also cook breakfast and stuff. Last night I woke up at one fifteen. I laid there... Um, you know, hours passed. The last time I looked at my clock, it was it was just after 4am. And I did fall back asleep at some point. Um, this is a podcast dream. And I didn't, first of all, I'm violating a well established rule that a lot of people have is that dreams are really boring to tell other people. Um, but I'm going to try this anyway. Um, so I had a podcast dream. It started on the day of the recording of the podcast, and per usual, I didn't really have anything put together about what I'd talk about. I was visiting the sidewalk office, which is totally different looking than the way it looks now. And I sat down on a couch and tried to go to sleep. And then I kind of came to and looked up and realized that there was a lot of people working there, and all of them um, were—they were teenagers, and they're really friendly, and they're really into hanging out and lounging, and they're into talking and um, uh, three of them had a band and they started playing music. And I was assigned some sort of errand. So I left and I drove to another town that kind of looked like a biodome. And I left my car and went into some ruins of buildings within the biodome to find something. And I came out empty handed and then went back to my car. And as um, as I opened the door and tried to get in it, I was really stunned to find all this plant life that had grown on the dashboard and um, under the window, but it was like constantly growing as I looked at it. Like it was vines and leaves were moving toward as like at the rate of like one centimeter per second. And so um, I, I was convinced it was real and really happening. I pulled out my phone and recorded a few seconds of it to show people. So later I went back to the sidewalk office, um, desperate for a place to sleep and I found this room, and I was starting to go to sleep, and the Chloe, the sidewalk director, uh, the executive director, saw me in the room, and she kind of stood in the doorway, and she saw that I was tired, and she gave me some comforting words. And um, I then kind of like woke up a bit and got excited to tell her about the plant behavior in the car, and I pulled out the phone to show her the video, and um, there was no trace of any of the video that I shot. And the last thing I remember about that dream was that I ultimately decided to share a recipe for basil pesto on the podcast. So I was standing here and giving a recipe for basil pesto. I don't actually have a personal recipe for basil pesto. So if I do recommend you eat basil pesto, it tastes really good. Um, But you can find a lot of recipes on the internet, probably. I'm Kyle McKinnon. This is um, Podcast Dreams.
1: Kyle McKinnon is a feature film programmer for the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema.
0: Thank you for listening to Side Talks. I was going to go with a different cinematic duo, but I'm actually going to go with Heather Locklear and Hilary Duff. We're your own personal Heather <laughs> Locklear and Hilary Duff. And of course, Hilary, could you please tell everybody everything else?
1: I sure would, Heather. Um, <laughs> uh, check us out on social media. We're at Sidewalk Film on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those other stuff, uh, all those other things. Use uh, hashtag Side Talks to engage uh, with Rachel about her wrong opinions
0: come on thank you to Boutwell Studios for hosting us for having us for editing us for dealing with us all those wonderful things they're amazing check them out uh, well worth your time if you're recording anything anything your voice your own voicemail just your voicemail I on mean, your phone I bring feel it here
1: reluctant to record anything by myself ever again
0: let's not let's let's not uh, and of course to splash 96 because our music Frickin' rules. It
1: uh, slaps, as the kids would say. Oh, gross. They would. I've talked to kids. Oh, boy.
0: All right, Mr. Kraft, we're out of here. All right, bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.